7 through 8. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. O God, you spoke your word and revealed your good news in Jesus Christ. Fill all creation with that word again, so that by proclaiming your joyful promises to the nations and singing of your glorious hope to all peoples, we may become one living body to the glory or your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest to lives and bleeds for me. My name is written on his hand. Thy name is written on his heart. I know that while in let me stand, no tongue can bid me then No tongue can bid our sins before the Lord. As we gather to receive the Lord's gifts in this service, let us humble ourselves before the Lord and confess our sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit 
that we may love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most Most merciful merciful God, God, we we confess confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have have sinned sinned against against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake God forgives us all our sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Savior Jesus Christ to receive from him. He is a good and a gracious God. We've already heard his word. We've sung his word. We've confessed our sins. We've received the assurance of our forgiveness. And now God is present here. He's present with us here uh, by means of his word. He he promises to be here uh, through his word. We cannot separate the presence of Christ, uh, the, the living word, from the written word. So we're here today to to learn together, to hear of God's promises together. But I have also not only uh, encouraged you to come here to to learn and to to hear uh, the preaching of God's word, but I encourage you to do some homework too. I don't think I have ever as a pastor had homework uh, for my congregation before. In your bulletin you'll find that there is a sheet of paper, and this is actually homework for you to take home and to do, it's actually just a a very basic uh, thing that you can do to meditate, to think upon, and to study a certain passage of scripture. Right now we're doing a sermon series, and the sermon series is entitled Pray First. And we truly believe that as a congregation, as, as as we seek the Lord to be revitalized as a congregation, that, that in all of the things that we would do, that we would pray first, that we wouldn't depend upon ourselves. You see, we've been given, according 
what I believe, according to the scripture, is a superhuman task. And that superhuman task is to go into all the world and, and to make disciples. Uh, and that's really what uh, God desires of our congregation, is that we would join Jesus in that mission of going and making disciples. And it's a superhuman task. And we, and we need to be dependent upon God in order to fulfill the task uh, which he has given to us. So there are selected passages in your homework, which we'll also preach on, from the book of Acts. The early church, the early church which went out and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to much of the known world at that time, they were a church that would pray first. Before they would engage uh, in, in, a, in a new mission or when they would uh, encounter a major challenge or an obstacle, the church would gather together and they would pray. So I believe that as we study these passages from the book of Acts, that we'll gain insight uh, into the, the power of prayer and we'll be able then to apply those principles uh, to the ministry of Maple Park Church. So I do encourage you to take this homework, to meditate, to think upon these uh, selected passages, which I will also preach on. And last week I gave the congregation homework, and that homework was primarily to focus on Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So our reading today for our sermon, we're just going to focus really on Acts 1, 12 through 14 for our sermon today. So reading in Jesus' name. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, son of James. And then verse 14. This is what we'll focus on today. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Here ends the reading of God's word. Last week, I started my sermon by saying, it's no secret, it's no secret, Maple Park Church needs to experience revitalization. Now, I, I assumed that everybody would know what that means. What does it mean for a church to experience revitalization? I assumed you would know, and my dad taught me <clears throat> never to assume anything. And he had a cute little saying that went along with it, which I want to repeat in church. Never assume anything. So I assume everybody would know what, what revitalization is. <clears throat> so when I say Maple Park Church needs to experience revitalization, what do I mean? Well, first of all, what it does not mean. It, it doesn't mean that, that we, we have a bunch of people sitting in the pews. It doesn't necessarily mean that we fill the church up. Did you know that we could fill the church up and not really experience revitalization from God? So it's not necessarily about just having more people in service on Sunday morning. 
Sustained revitalization isn't about more people sitting in church. What is uh, church revitalization then? Church revitalization is this. It is realigning ourselves with Jesus' purpose for the church. It's realigning ourselves with Jesus' purpose for the church. Every church loses focus regularly. It's no surprise. I lose focus regularly. It's a part of my life. You know, the first thing when I wake up is I'm, I'm not thinking about what is Jesus' task for me today when I wake up in the morning, right? I think about all sorts of other things. And then hopefully the Holy Spirit will bring to my mind this is Jesus' task for your life. I think the same thing is, is true for the church. No one can point a finger to blame a person or a group of people for the decline which necessitates revitalization. We all lose focus in life, and congregations do. Every organization loses focus from time to time. So church revitalization is realigning ourselves with Jesus' purpose for his church. Or, or being moved by the power of grace. Being moved by the power of grace to be renewed in the primary task of the church. So it's Jesus realigning ourselves with the purpose and the task of the church. And he does this by his grace and his mercy for us. So the task of the church, if you don't know, is actually found in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. There Matthew records, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's the two-letter word. Go. This is the task. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the one true God, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the connection with prayer. And behold, I am with you always. Underline that word, I am with you always. You believe it? You believe that Jesus is present with us? That's what moves us to pray first. Jesus is with you. He is with us to the end of the age. And if he's with us, why wouldn't we pray first? To seek him. To seek his will. To figure out what his plan and his agenda is for the church. So revitalization is simply being moved by grace, by Jesus, by his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his great commission, to be renewed in the task of making disciples. 
This is the, the task of the church. The task of the church is that the church would make disciples. And we make disciples by preaching the word and administering the sacraments. So word and sacraments are the primary disciple-making tool that Jesus has given to us. So does this mean we go out on the street corner and preach a crazy sermon? No, you can preach the word simply through your interactions with other people, your conversations with people, um, your witness to the power of the gospel in your life. Uh, baptizing all people. Does this mean we go out to Highway 99 and start uh, hook a fire hose up to a hydrant and, and spray water on everybody in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? No. So we bear witness to the reality of the gospel. We bring people into the gathering of the body of Christ. Here they, they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit after believing. So baptizing teaching, going. These are the means of being a disciple maker. Now I have this to say. It's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. This is why we pray first. It's easy to say that Maple Park has a vision of gathering, of being transformed, and going to make disciples. It's easy to say that, but it's hard to do. And that's why prayer is necessary. That's why we say, pray first. So what undergirds all of, of this and the life of the church, what, what undergirds the, the, the church's mission of gather, <clears throat> transform, and go to make disciples is prayer. And as we study the book of Acts, we'll learn that prayer undergirded the early church. And we desire for prayer to undergird our ministry. That we wouldn't depend upon our own strength, but we would depend upon him and his strength. And why is prayer powerful? Prayer is powerful because of Jesus' promise. I am with you always. He is with us always, even to the end of the age. So Acts 1.14 today. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what is Acts 1.14 teaching us? I believe that Acts 1.14 is not just teaching us about personal prayer, but also about corporate prayer. Did you notice it? They were in one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer, and they were together. They were together. You see, I think we jump the tracks and we start heading in the wrong direction when we see prayer as only personal. Prayer is only my personal prayer closet, which is actually a metaphor. You don't literally have to have a closet that you pray in. Yes, prayer is your personal prayer closet, is your personal time with God to develop your relationship with him. But, but I believe that prayer is also public. We publicly gather, and as we publicly gather, 
we pray. This is the example given to us in the book of Acts. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So this is the example set by the early church. One accord, in other words, they were united as a congregation, devoted to prayer, prayer was a priority for them, and they were together. Together. Not just a personal relationship with Jesus. That's so important. It's so important today that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that each and every one of you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that you know Jesus as your Savior, as the one who takes away your sins, and as the one who promises to be with you always. But it's not just a personal relationship with Jesus. It's also a public relationship with Jesus. A public relationship with Jesus. And maybe we should begin encouraging people not only to develop their personal relationship with Jesus, but also their public relationship with Jesus. Think of it. Together. I'm going to just focus on that one word, together. They were a family. They were a family. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but family isn't a private thing. Family really isn't a private thing. Think of it. When you're a family, most things are public. When one person in the family catches a stomach bug, usually everybody in the family gets it, right? Have you had that experience before? One person catches a virus, everybody in the family has the virus. Together. Uh, when, when, when there's one person in the family that has a bad attitude, typically it, it drags everybody down, right? When one person celebrates a milestone, a birthday, whatever it might be, everyone celebrates. It's not private. It's public. It's together. Families do things together. They experience the good, the bad, and the ugly together. Good things about a family. Not so good things about a family. You know, I hate it when the stomach bug is going around. Immediately I think, man, this thing is going to hit my family. So far we've avoided it since we've lived here. And in family, you don't always like each other, right? Think about it. You get irritated about a lot of things in your family. You get mad at each other. You argue with each other. That's a part of being a family, right? If your family doesn't struggle relation, relationally, if you never have any struggles in your family, guess what? You're kind of weird. You are. A family that, that never argues or gets angry, that's kind of creepy. You better go get a CAT scan to make sure you're human. A family together, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
So families don't always like each other. Don't always like each other, but you don't take off when things are difficult. One accord, devoted to prayer, together, together. You see, the Bible does indeed compare the church to a family. The church is a family that sticks together, prays together, and experiences adventure together. But I believe our American culture has begun to view church as a commodity or a product to consume rather than a family that lives in one accord devoted to one another praying together. So I encourage you, please don't view the church as a commodity or a product to consume. View the church as family. Now, if, when I go out to eat, maybe I, I want to have teriyaki. I have many places to choose from, Right? I may select one. I really like it. All of a sudden, I don't like it anymore. The, the, you know, things have gone downhill with the restaurant. I don't like the product anymore. So what do I do? I go, I shop for another, another uh, place to get and to eat teriyaki. You know, the church isn't a teriyaki joint. But many people see that the, the church that way. The church is a place simply to consume religious goods and services. And when you don't like it anymore, you take off and you go somewhere else. What if I treated my family this way? What would you think of me? What if all of a sudden I started shopping for another wife? What would you think of me if I left my family? Why would we treat our spiritual family that way? The church is family. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with everybody, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I actually have a little story to tell about one of the outreach of events that we did here at Maple Park this past summer. Um, we, uh, I can't remember if it was VBS or National Night Out, but I, I was talking with, with a couple of young families and these young families uh, were basically saying, yeah, we're interested in checking your church out. And they said, we don't like the church we're going to anymore. And so then I just, I said, well, why is that? I wanted to listen. I wanted to hear. Why don't you like your, <clears throat> your old church anymore? Are they, are they teaching false doctrine? Is there some sort of toxicity within the church? <clears throat> why do you no longer desire to go to that church? And so they basically told me the reasons why they didn't like the church anymore. And, and it wasn't for, for reasons of, 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 of doctrine or reasons uh, that, that I saw were really, they, they just didn't like it anymore. They were looking for uh, another place to consume religious goods and services. You know what I said? I said, you know what? I think it would be best for you right now if you stayed at the church you're at because I think they really need you. It sounds like your church is going through a hard time. And the last thing we really need are churches closing. That's hard to do, especially when you want the church you're pastoring to grow and you want young families to come in. You see, the church is family. We stick together through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Pray together. One accord. Together.
So don't forget, families share things in common. As a church, we share one father. We share one father. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That word, Abba, is an Aramaic word that means father, but it was a common term that expressed deep affection, confidence, and trust. I don't know about you, but as a dad, none of my kids ever call me father. They usually call me daddy or dad. Because there's a relationship of affection, of confidence, and trust. So you, you did not receive uh, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Affection, confidence, and trust. Knowing that he loves us. Do you know that? Jesus loves you. God loves you. You have a Father in heaven that loves you more than you could ever imagine. Did you know that he loves to hear from you? He loves to hear from you. And did you know that he loves it when we all come together? Parents with grown children enjoy having the family together. I've noticed that with my parents and with my in-laws. They enjoy having family together. Parents enjoy having the family sit together for a meal, interacting together as a family. That's because parents long for relationship with their children. They long for relationship with their children. And God's no different. He is a good, good father. And he desires for us to know him as our father. For us to be together in one accord, having conversation with him, praying first, and enjoying him together. One of my favorite passages of scripture regarding our relationship to God in prayer is actually from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And here Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he teaches us about the nature of our Father. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent or a snake? Now listen to this. If then... If you then, who are evil, and that's me, I'm not a perfect father, I'm a sinner. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
So if, if, if broken and fallen dads like me know how to give good gifts to, to, to my children, how much more the perfect, the perfect loving father who loves us unconditionally, how much more will he give good things to us who ask of him? Believe it. Trust it. Live in it. He is a good father. He is a good father. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world for you, for your salvation, so that you would know God is your father, so that you would, would have a relationship with him, so that you would, would enter into his family called the church, and there, and there share life together as a family, experiencing the good, yeah, the bad and even the ugly, but together, devoted, knowing who our Father in heaven is. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you for being such a good God to us. You are indeed a good, good Father. And Lord Jesus, uh, as we come together now during this, this time of worship and of prayer, help us, Heavenly Father, to have that same affection and confidence and trust in you that so many others have found in you. That we would, too would cry out, our Father, Abba Father, loving Father, good Father. Move on our behalf, move on, be, on behalf of our congregation. Revitalize us, Lord, that together as a congregation, we would be renewed in the task that you've given to us, the task of going and making disciples of all nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing the song, Be Thou My Vision. <clears throat>